0: Hmm.
1: How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. I am so excited to finally welcome you to episode 300 of x This episode's been a long time coming, and uh, it's been a little while since I've bellied up to the mic here uh, for this program. Um, those of you who followed me on you know, various social media platforms will know uh, what was going on and what's been going on in my life, which uh, made this episode uh, you know, come out a little bit later than uh, I would have otherwise. But... At least now I can kind of say that there's a method to the madness here because this episode is coming out on January 31st, 2022, which is the sixth anniversary of uh, Chris's on Infinite Earth. So six years every single day, some sort of content showing up from me. It's a a nice little, uh, I guess, bit of a happenstance there. 300 episodes on the same day that we commemorate six years of uh, putting out content that very few people care about. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I mean, the title of the episode probably tipped you all off here, but uh, I was wondering, you know, what do you do for 300 episodes? Uh, We can look back at our past Milestone episodes. Uh, Episode 100 was fairly low-key. It was just, I believe it was a review of an issue of Wolverine. (laughs) Just a random issue of Wolverine. Uh, 200 was a little bit more... I guess for lack of a better term, spectacular. Um, You know, that's not an indictment on the quality, of course, but uh, we kind of went all out. I think we put out a 10- to 12-hour episode where we went through the entire uh, Exitens handbook. You know, we talked about all the entries there, had a great group of folks on to chat and uh, talk about X-Men fandom. It was a really, really good time. And with episode 300, I was thinking about doing something similar with the... uh, That Hellfire Gala brochure we got last year, that freebie, and uh, I thought it would be fun to have folks on and talk about, uh, you know, the various outfits, how they received the Hellfire Gala, stuff like that, but uh, taking into account that we're just coming off the holidays here, everybody was busy, myself included, and as well as uh, everything that happened at uh, at the old home front here in January, it just didn't seem, it just didn't seem possible. So uh, I got that one in my back pocket still. Maybe when we hit 400, we'll do something like that. Uh, who knows where we'll be when uh, episode 400, if and when episode 400 becomes a thing. So that still begged the question, what do we do about 300? And 300's a very, very important number for, I think, X fans uh, of my vintage. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. But um, what do you do? What do you do for 300 episodes here? Um... As you know, this show kind of prides itself on being all-inclusive. You know, we've talked about things that have ve- very, very barely, you know, touched on the fringes of current-year X relevance, so to speak. I mean, we talked about it, uh, issues of Power Pack. We we covered an issue of Fantastic Four that had a single page about the demutantifying of Franklin Richards. I mean, we talk about pretty much everything and anything that might affect... The, the X-Men, the mutants, Krakoa, the, you know, the whole situation here. And so, as an all-or-nothing sort of a program and mission that we're on here, uh, I figured maybe we cover something a little bit different here. Something that, in another time and place, might have been a pretty good Episode 0 for X-Lapsed. If I were of a mind to do an Episode 0. I, I, I Episode zeros issue zeros I understand that they're a novelty, but... um. For me, I I like having a a number, you know, a number to go to here. It's like, this is 300 episodes, instead of saying, yeah, it's 299 plus a zero, you know. So, I decided to use this little booklet as episode 300, and also use it as an opportunity to reflect. We're going to look back at these past, uh, 300 episodes here. We're not going to go episode by episode, or even issue by issue. But, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, pretty much what got us to where we are right now, and, uh, The book we're going to be discussing is uh, X-Men, The Seeds of Tomorrow, Hickman's X-Men Revealed. This was a freebie sent out by Marvel. Uh, The indicia lists it as the House of X, Powers of X, free preview number one, with a September 2019 cover date. The cover price, of course, is free. And if the internet is to be believed, this one showed up on shelves or on the counter at your local shop on July 17th, 2019. So before we get into that here, let's talk a little bit about... The importance of 300, because if you are an X fan of my vintage, uh, which I'm gonna assume a lot of folks are, because I was part of a, a pretty big influx to the X fandom back in uh, you know 1991, 1992. Uh, issue 300 of Uncanny X-Men was the first milestone that we were that we were there for. Uh, this was not you know a 25 or a 50 or a 75. This was this was a biggie here, and I remember uh, I started collecting Uncanny in the early 290s. And I remember being very, very excited to be there for, uh, you know, the clock ticking over and uh, leaving the 200s for the 300s. It felt like, uh, um, it might sound weird or sad, but it felt like I was uh, a part of history, you know. This was something that was really, really big. You know, uh, comics ticking over into the next hundred, it's not something that happens every day. It's not something that happens every month. These days, it's not something that happens ever, you know, I mean, what's the last book to get to 100 issues organically? It just doesn't happen very often, especially when that comes to the X-books that, you know, very seldom even get into the 20s, much less, you know, the triple digits. And so issue 300, when that hit, uh, kind of signified, you know, the, the rich history of a, of a franchise and of a title and a celebration of uh of the same here, it was the first time, at least to uh, to my recollection here, that the X Men books had a had a gimmick cover. You know, it had that wonderful foil cover with the John Romita Jr. art on it. it it's kind of gaudy when you look back on it, but uh, it, there's something very very special about it. And if you looked at the the cover art for uh, this episode, I kind of evoked a similar look and feel uh, with the. You know, with the foil Xs, they're the more stylized um, Tom Muller Xs rather than the classic, you know, regular Xs. But I had a really good time putting that together and, you know, kind of uh, paying tribute to uh, to my roots as an X fan here and um, also paying tribute to the 300th issue of Uncanny X-Men. And now before we reflect on the post-HoxPox era, or HoxPox and the post-HoxPox era, I want to do a little bit of reflection on uh, my time. It's going to be short, uh, as I've talked about this before here, but it just seems, it just seems like an, an appropriate place to do this here. Just a little bit about my uh, podcasting history or content-creating history as it pertained to, uh, to the X-Men here, because, um, you know, when I started... Podcasting and creating content, uh, me and the X-Men were on the outs I had thrown my temper tantrum after Marvel had thrown their temper tantrum And uh, two wrongs uh, didn't make a right here So I wound up walking away from a franchise, a, a series of characters, or a series of books that I loved Because uh, it just wasn't, wasn't to my tastes anymore And uh, we're going to talk about that as we go through that here Because your humble host might become... A little bit precious <laughs> As we go through this uh, this preview piece here But I didn't want to talk about the X-Men I didn't want to write about the X-Men I didn't want to know about the X-Men Back when I started this um, When Reggie and I started doing our thing He was, uh He was really, um He really encouraged me To embrace my X-Fandom here um, Because it was something That I was passionate about at one time It was something I was knowledgeable about At one time, and, uh I believe that the X-Men were kind of a blind spot for him as a, uh, as a comics fan. Of course, he knew, you know, the broad strokes, like, like a lot of us do, but he was never really an X-Men fan. He was, he was really more a DC guy than a Marvel guy, so a lot of the Marvel stuff I had to take, uh, take point on, especially when we get went into the X-Men corner. And he always encouraged me to do more X-Men stuff here, and I resisted. I didn't want to talk about the X-Men I felt, I don't know, maybe it was uh, Familiarity and contempt Maybe it was uh, Feelings of, uh, you know, just my Overall preciousness about uh, What I feel the X-Men should be uh, When they were very much not that At that time But he pushed, and he pushed And he wanted to talk about the X-Men He wanted me to talk about the X-Men And I I kept trying to push it off It's like, how about we do Titans again? Let's do some Teen Titans I I didn't want to do (laughs) X-Men at all Uh, But, you know, I I did give in. I did give in on on a number of occasions here. Um, I remember doing the X-Trader episode, which was an absolute blast. This was very, very late in the Cosmic Treadmill run, where uh, I dedicated a couple of weeks to putting together this episode about, uh, you know, the mystery of who or what the X-Trader was. And... um, that was a really fun one for me because I vowed to only use hard copy for the for the uh, for the research. So it was a couple of weeks of me, you know, on my office floor with a stack of X-Men comics, uh, a bunch of Wizard magazines, uh, some hero, uh, hero, what is that? Hero Illustrated, a whole bunch of just comics, media, and ephemera that uh, I was getting all of my. Information from, in addition to my own anecdotes of, you know, being a fan at the time And following along, and the scuttlebutt at the comic shop, stuff like that But it was uh, one of the things that really kind of reawakened my ex-fandom here It made me realize how much of a hole in my fandom, uh, leaving the X-Men had left And that wasn't the first time that we covered the X-Men on the Cosmic Treadmill here, uh, one of the things that Reggie was very adamant about was uh, that he wanted to talk about the Age of Apocalypse. And uh, he wanted me to take point on it. And, you know, you think about it, and a lot of the things we did on the treadmill were one-and-dones. It was, uh, no matter how big or how small the topic was, it was a single episode where we got uh, pretty much everything we needed to say said. And every little bit of... uh, Data, you know, research Was was able to be shared in that one episode And we figured that uh, the Age of Apocalypse would be episode 100 of the Cosmic Treadmill And uh, we figured it'd be a long episode Because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to cover there, right? There's a lot of books in the Age of Apocalypse There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff a A lot of anecdotes to share about Just what it meant to the fan of the day And the fears and the theories and all that kind of stuff and, well, uh, much like our uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth series, uh, The Age of Apocalypse became a series. Six episodes long, something like 12 or 13 hours of audio. Hundreds of pages of notes and research. Absolute blast. Perhaps the most fun of that entire project was uh, Reggie's reactions to uh, all the X history here and uh, just going through everything that was going on in the 90s here and how the X-Men blew up from... You know, one title that uh, really wasn't doing all that well back in the Silver Age to just this absolute force of nature in uh, the comics industry where, you know, it felt like half the books on the shelves had an X in the title, right? That was a lot of fun to do. Um, Didn't make me yearn for the X-Men so much. Uh, It made me yearn for a certain era of the X-Men, just that Age of Apocalypse era. But um, I want to say those episodes came out right around the time that Marvel uh, announced that they were doing another volume of Uncanny which kind of piqued my interest until I realized that they were going to be uh, weekly and have, like, the rotating creative teams, and the entire first arc was going to be called Disassembled. <laughs> and I just, I realized that, uh, yeah, this was just not for me. So any interest I might have had about coming back was uh, was quickly and swiftly quashed. Um, we did a few more things on the treadmill here. Um, The X-Trader thing I mentioned was uh, set to be part of uh, a box set. Uh, You know how we loved our box sets. We put together our little compilations to uh, either re-release or just link to in their their full full form. But um, I wanted to do a Mysteries of X series of Cosmic Treadmill episodes, which would include things like the X-Trader. We also covered um, the enigmatic writer of the Brotherhood, known as X, who... uh, It was, like, one of the worst-kept secrets in comics history. Uh, We all knew it was Howard Mackey, but um, it it wouldn't come out until, like, 15 years later that it was actually Howard Mackey. But in addition to those two, I wanted to do an episode dedicated to the third Summer's Brother, which I guess has been revealed a couple of times, hasn't it, Uh, since we have uh, X-Men Legends out now. But, um... I wanted to cover The Third Summer's Brother, uh, and I also wanted to go uh, deep on The Twelve. Folks who've listened to this show know that I've oft romanticized the concept of The Twelve and was very, very disappointed with how um, The Twelve actually wound up around the turn of the century. So those four episodes were going to be kind of a cornerstone of our X-Men content on on the channel. And it wasn't really going to go... Any further than that, I, I didn't see myself ever coming back to the uh, to the fandom, and uh, I guess I kind of made peace with with that decision, and kind of just realized that uh, anything I did regarding the X Men was going to be with a, with you know, with an eye toward the past. And around that time, I'd even started up a uh, a second show, like a sister show to uh, *Chris's on Infinite Earths*, called uh, *Remarvel* where I was, you know, just uh, dedicating some time to revisiting some Marvel comics that I'd loved or some Marvel comics that I'd discovered. Kind of just trying to, not so much relight the fire of my Marvel fandom, but, um, I don't know, just kind of pay tribute to my roots in the fandom. And somewhat unexpectedly, it uh, wound up kind of stoking the, uh, the uh, smoldering ashes of my <laughs> X-Men fandom here. Just the nostalgia For, uh, for these books that, you know, left such an impression on me During my, uh, my adolescence and, uh, early comic fandom I talked about, uh, you know, when I left the X-Men the first time When I discovered the X-Men for the first time When I came back And it really just, uh, that's what lit the fire Revisiting these old stories In addition to all the work that Reggie and I had done On our little mystery series It just really made me miss this franchise And, uh made me a little curious about getting back in. But I wasn't sold yet. (laughs) I still wanted to talk about the X-Men, I still wanted to do my research on the X-Men, but I wasn't yet ready to get hurt again. You know, I didn't want to jump back in uh, both feet. I did uh, look at some of the news that was going around, and it was a lot of... uh, I want to say this was around the age of X-Men, and I did not understand any of that. I still kind of don't, but uh, I have a better grasp on it now. It's just, as all this stuff was coming out, it was um, a little daunting, and it just didn't seem like there was an adequate entry point. And so I decided to not pursue it, and instead just really indulge in uh, nostalgia. And that's when I started a show called From Claremont to Claremont. Where I'd be joined by a group of great folks to talk about the interim period of the X Men. It was uh, probably among my grandest creative plans, and also one of my biggest failures <laughs> as a creator because I didn't take into account that uh, I didn't take into account how much work it was going to be. And uh, with Claremont, Claremont, those were uh, there's only two complete episodes up. Um, there's almost three episodes done But only two episodes up as a as a full From Claremont to Claremont episode Which is to say a 12 to 14 hour show And when you put out a show that's quite that long And that labor intensive And uh, that editing intensive Something that really just takes over your life um, That's when you have those uh, Those inconvenient uh, thoughts invade your mind Where... Consciously or not, you begin to weigh the effort you're putting into it uh, against what you're getting out of it. And from Claremont to Claremont it was not a huge success. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time uh, talking with my friends about uh, some classic comics that uh, we loved and or hated. But um, as a created commodity, it was just uh, it was not rewarding. In the slightest, here it was a very, very much a disappointment when I saw numbers come in, or, or the lack of numbers come in, and it, uh, yeah, it was one of those things that uh, I'm not proud of it, but it was one of those things where I kind of just uh, took my ball and uh, and went home. And this was early 2020, and I probably don't need to tell you uh, what happened in early 2020, and I don't yeah. want to go too deep on what happened, you know, to this channel in mid 2020, but uh, those of you who've been around for a while will know. That uh, we we lost someone very very important, and uh, at that time I was pretty content to just uh, draw a line under this hobby. You know, um, this was going to be just a thing I used to do because it just didn't feel right to to do it anymore. um, Without you know dwelling or going too deep into the to the thought process here, because I've talked about this a lot on the channel, and it's uh, it's never easy to talk about. So um, if anybody really wants to hear that. I mean, there are places on this channel you can find it. But um, as a as a way to cope and as a way to attempt to find joy in something that had, at one time, brought me great joy, that's when I decided to uh, start up this little X-Lapsed project. And as I've said many times before, and I'm, I'm telling the, the quick and dirty version of it here, but um, never planned for it to be a daily thing. Never planned for it to be something that was... You know, far-reaching. It was never going to be something that was. It was never going to be 300 episodes. Um, I thought at the very best it was going to be 12. You know, it was just going to be Hoxpox, and that was the end of it. But here we are. You know, episode 300. And uh, you know, one last thing before we get into the book of the day, uh, I want to thank my good friend Jeremiah for sending this to me. I uh, was not. I was not in the shops buying X Men comics when this preview came out you know as I'll talk about as we get into it here the first x-men book of this era that I bought was x-men volume 5 number 1 which put me at a tremendous tremendous disadvantage as it as it came to knowing just what in the f was going on so huge thank you to jeremiah for for sending this my way and having my back while I was x-lapsed but um How's about we finally get into this thing here? I think that's more than enough pre-ramble, and I, I appreciate you all sticking around uh, through it, if in fact you have. It really means a lot to me, but let me quit yapping about this and start yapping about that. It's time to dive in to the HoxPox Free Preview number no. 1 from 2019. Now, uh, we'll start with the cover, which uh, features a split-screen image of the covers of House of X number no. 1 and Powers of X number no. 1, Um, Something that I would uh, refer to as half iconic, I think Uh, The Hawks cover, uh, Hawks number one, is very, very striking Definitely uh, one of the very, very few uh, covers from the recent past that really stands out as being iconic You look at this cover and you know exactly what book it is Which you really can't say about too many books Uh, Case in point, Powers of X number one uh, this one is fairly generic, in my opinion It's not a bad cover, by any stretch But it's, a. Uh, I I mean, it could, be a, it could be a variant, for all I can tell It's just a, a smattering of characters It does not stand out to me At least not on the level of House of X number one We open it up, and the inside front cover features uh, What is, uh, perhaps the most important scene in the history of the X-Men It is that scene of Mora and Professor X's mental chat from House of X number two, wherein she fills his head with everything she's experienced over the course of her nine previous lives. An important scene, undoubtedly. The most important scene? Well, arguably, right? I mean, can't say it isn't, (laughs) because uh, it does inform pretty much everything we're going to talk about and everything we have talked about for the past 299 episodes. Now, we open with an intro letter from our head of X, Jonathan Hickman. And he says that while walking toward the X-Men retreat, he had a silly grin on his face. And I'm assuming that was because he had just realized he was going to be able to resell them the same plot they already declined from his Eternals pitch. I mean, he just was really, really excited about working uh, and writing about the X-Men. Now, he says the purpose of this preview is to not only show off the beautiful art, not only to give a taste of the tone to come, but to... Huh. Now, I thought this was just something that we old fans just imagined, but uh, I guess the goal of this is to start making the X-Men matter again. Huh. How come when I say that, I'm like an entitled man-baby gatekeeper? I don't know. Uh, from here, we get to our House of X number one preview, which we covered in full 299 episodes ago. Now, at the risk of being terribly tacky, I'm going to quote myself from episode number one here. Uh, the scene we see is a, a shift to the Grey Malkin habitat in Westchester, which at the time I assumed was the old Xavier School, and I suppose it was. There, Jean Grey is escorting some young mutants to, through one of the Krakoan gateways, including one with broccoli floret hair. We, or I, learn that only mutants can travel through them without permission. Humans can, of course, tag along, but only if Krakoa says it's cool. As they step on through, word is sent to a kerkoan network control center of sorts, which is pretty gross. Seems like it's part animal, part vegetable, and has a whole lot of eyes. Now, this desk is being manned by Cypher and Sage. Gene and the Broccoli Boy arrive, and the tot is pretty wowed to see Professor X and a hairy guy named Logan. Here, Professor X welcomes Gene home, and we are promised that this will all play out in House of X number 1. An interesting scene, to be sure. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I I wasn't around for this preview, so I can't say how this would have affected me or what it would have made me think, because, you know, we've got hindsight and not context, unfortunately. So it's an interesting scene, and I want to say during Episode 1, when we covered this in full, I think I compared it to like the first 10 minutes of a Twilight Zone episode where everything seems just like perhaps a little too perfect and there's something, something askew there, but you just can't put your finger on it. And knowing what we know now, it still kind of feels like that, right? It, it still kind of feels like it's maybe being a little coy with what it uh, really is. And uh, that works. I think that really works here. I wish I could say how this would have affected me. Just reading the preview, though, which I, I really stinks that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't there for it. From here, our preview continues, and we have a House of X face the future advertisement. Now, this is a very striking image of a stone statue of a cerebro-helmeted Professor X looking a lot like the Lincoln Memorial. You'll know this one if you see it. It's, it, it is a very, very striking image for sure. Uh, next up, an advertisement saying "The Dawn of X, all will be revealed," and this is hype for Marvel's next big thing panel at the 2019 San Diego Comic Con. Which uh, my first thought is, "Wow, they're gonna talk about comics at Comic Con," and believe it or not, yeah, yeah, they did. They don't don't wanna make a habit of it, but they they in fact did. And this panel would occur the weekend before House of X number one hit the stands here. And I did do a little bit of research as to what was said and what was revealed. During this panel, so I will share some of that here as well Uh, Jordan White says that House of X focuses on the changes in the present for the X-Men As a result of Professor X's giant plan Powers of X will look at the past, present, and future of mutant kind Jonathan Hickman pipes in to say Read House of X number 5 because that's the good one And yeah, that was a pretty big deal, wasn't it? Uh, Hickman continues by saying if he had his way, he would do no PR and just release the books and people would be surprised. I agree. (laughs) I agree. If only they would stop sending these things to the spoiler sites. It would be a a much uh, more fun hobby to be a part of. It was also during this panel where the uh, Dawn of X titles and creative teams were officially announced. At least I I think so. Again, I wasn't around at the time. Uh, Marauders by Duggan and Lolly. Hickman says Marauders is a good example of what we're doing taking a traditional name and putting in characters you wouldn't expect. And it just looks like nonsense, but it will all make sense after Hoxpox. Pox. Now, Excalibur, Teenie Howard, Marcus Toe. C.B. Savolsky says that this series will see Betsy Braddock ascend into the role of Captain Britain, not unlike Carol Danvers becoming Captain Marvel. I guess because they're they're both women? Sort of minimalizes uh, what the books might be about, but okay. Uh, X-Force by Percy and Kassara. Hickman says that X-Force is good. This one's predictable. They're going to throw parties and dance a lot. And uh, we we did see a fair share of that early on. Fallen Angels by Hill and Kudransky. Uh, Jordan White says that this team will feature Psylocke, but it's not Betsy. New Mutants by Hickman, Brisson, and Reese. Uh, Hickman says, I'm a big New Mutants fan, and we're trying to set things up that will resonate for years to come. Finally, X-Men with Hickman and you. And uh, Hickman calls it a tour de force of the X-Men world, featuring every mutant... In the Marvel Universe. Well, we'll talk about uh, the kind of tour de force it was a little bit later. Uh, during this panel, Dawn of X Wave 2 was announced as uh, being in the works, at least, but no titles were named. A couple of creators were included in the, uh, in the announcement, though uh, Vida Ayala and Leia Williams, they were name dropped. They then opened up a Q&A, and unsurprisingly, the first question that the comics media were interested in sharing was about Bobby Drake's sexuality. Uh, There were also questions about Weapon Plus, which we did talk about briefly during our manslaughter episodes of X-Force, which I think may have featured the first use of the uh, post hoxpox stylized X logo at the very last panel in uh, that manslaughter introduction had that X in it. Uh, The crew were then asked how connected these six books would be. They were told that the connection would come primarily from the world that Hickman is setting up. Which, I guess is to say, maybe they'll be connected. Depends on the week, depends on the month, who knows. Uh, We get a final question about our favorite little guy, Jeff the Landshark, and where he might be winding up. And Cebulski says that uh, he's got big plans for Jeff. And, uh, I mean, this was three years ago, and I think, outside of the Unlimited stuff, we're we're still waiting. Uh, Next up, the Powers of X number one preview, which we covered 298 episodes ago in full. And to quote myself again from episode two... We got, and, looking at this Evangelion-looking thing on the page, I'm already beginning to glaze over. We're in the midst of a war, it seems, between mutants and something called the man-machine supremacy. And I I noted then, uh, this is going to be tough because I already don't care. Uh, Ava Unit 1 and an associate who looks like a future Hellfire Club soldier are stood over what I can only assume is a dead mutant, who looks a lot like Elixir from the new X-Men. We found out that Elixir is an Omega-level mutant last issue, which was House of X number one in an info page, so maybe he could live a hundred years. I don't know. It's a good thing we're living in the age of the Marvel Wiki, and I find out this fella is actually called Percival, and yeah, he is dead. We've got the remaining three of this foursome of X-Men. we got Rasputin IV, who I believe is the sword-wielding intangible girl from that first tarot card. If you remember, there were tarot cards. Her skin looks metallic, and she's got the soul sword, so perhaps she's an amalgamation of Kitty, Colossus, and magic. We're going to find out that these X-Men were bred by Mr. Sinister on Mars, so it might stand to reason that there was some genetic tinkering. We got Cardinal, who looks like a red nightcrawler from the third tarot card, and uh, he looks to be a blend of Kurt and perhaps Rachel. Finally, there's Silabel, a machine who's joined the mutant resistance, I guess. She's got a black brain, which renders her unreadable, and she kind of looks like a female version of the Teen Titans' baddie, Simon, or P-Simon. While the Ava unit and the future Hellfire soldier are caught, Silabel, Cardinal plants a black seed of Krakoa in the ground. Rasputin unleashes the Soul Sword and attempts to save Silabel. Unfortunately for her, machines ain't got no souls. And they promise that this will be continued in Powers of X. And, uh, well, this is uh, still kind of a mishigas. Um I couldn't imagine this selling a single extra copy of Powers of X number one. It might have actually dissuaded people from buying it. Uh, maybe this is a, a good thing I didn't read this preview, because I would not, would not be interested for this at all. And uh, as we read through it, I was a lot less interested in Powers of X than I was House of X. Uh, from here, we hop to our HoxPox FAQ, or FAQ, if you prefer, uh, the questions are, what is House of X and Powers of X? We learn that these are the starting point for the next era of the X-Men. Quote, these stories will be the foundation for all X-Men stories over the next several years, and return the X-Men to their rightful prominent position in the Marvel Universe. And again, I, I thought we all imagined that they'd been purposely backburnered over Disney and Marvel's no-movie-rights tantrum. Because, I mean, anytime we would say, This or observe that this was a thing that was going on We were, um, you know, like I said, I think we were man-babies That was the term that was often tossed around uh, Entitled and man-babies I gotta wonder who who or what Marvel blames On the X-Men having been robbed of their Quote, rightful prominent position in the Marvel Universe I mean, these things don't just happen This was an orchestrated plan And it was a plan that worked out the way they intended it to work out Oh, well. um, Next question, what is House of X about? House of X is about a pivotal month in the history of the X-Men where everything changes for the mutants on Earth. And uh, that's all they can tell us, which kind of begs the question, why even say that much? What is Powers of X about? A story about the unknown secret history of mutants in the Marvel Universe. And again, that's all they're going to tell us. Uh, Question, which series is the main book? Well, silly, they're both the main book each book is equally as important and necessary reading to get the most out of this. And, uh, you know, as as mentioned, I would argue that House of X was much more important and, um, you know, much more fun to read, but their point is well taken. Uh, Which series should I read is the next question, which is basically a retread of the previous answer. Uh, Here's one that, uh, (laughs) here's one that I don't like so much. Is the name of the series pronounced Powers of X or Powers of Ten? Well, of course, it is Powers of Ten, and I will never refer to it as such. Uh, the whole X equals 10 thing isn't near as mind-blowing as Marvel and Hickman seem to think it is. It was a little bit uh, of a, a uh, a, little bit of a, uh, you know, eye-opening sort of thing when Grant Morrison did it 20 years ago. Now, not so much. Uh, question, what happens after the House of X and Powers of X series is? And that's uh, Dawn of X, New Era, yada, 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 Hickman's riding the flagship. The final question, are House of X and Powers of X any good? The answer is yes. And, I mean, what are they going to say? No? Um, next page, Powers of X, the fear of the future ad. And this shows the uh, characters that we now know to be the Chimera, and we looked at them during the Powers of X uh, preview there. Next, we kick off some interviews here. We're starting with Jonathan Hickman, uh, the head of X, and his uh, interview is titled To Me, My X-Men, which... Uh, I think my eyes rolled back just far enough to see the vomit coming up my throat. Um, Marvel asks, "What? where did you get your ex-inspiration? Hickman says, oh, Claremont and Burn is a biggie. Jim Lee era is where he really set in as an ex-fan. He says that his first arc that he read was Uncanny issues 256 through 258, which was the Acts of Vengeance Mandarin Psylocke arc. Marvel asks, who uh, Hickman's favorite ex-character who never got their due was? He says, Sink and Skin from Generation X And Cipher from New Mutants To which, can can we stop with every writer Immediately falling to Doug Ramsey When this question gets asked? I mean, it's enough uh, Marvel says, which part of Hoxpox Pox Will cause everyone to lose their minds? Hickman says that House of X number 2 Will have a lot of jaws on the floor And uh, he is absolutely right Marvel wraps up with How about them artists? And Hickman says, yeah, they're pretty great So, uh, from here we hop into our Hickman's Greatest Hits page here, where we go through, uh, well, some of Hickman's greatest hits. Uh, Hydra Infiltration, which happened in Secret Warriors, The Complete Collection, Volume 1. Ah, not a book I ever read. Um, and from the thumbnail image they use, which is of a fella in a darkened, monitor-filled room, I think I made the right call in skipping that. Next, The Future Foundation in Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman, Volume 3. And we've talked about Hickman's Fantastic Four before. Not in a while, but we've talked about it. And uh, this was a series and an era of the FF that I really wanted to love. But as mentioned early on in our X-Lapsed visits, I was uh, a little too bent out of shape at the unending rumors that this was going to lead to something of a tabula rasa. Or how do you say that? Tabula rasa? I don't know. A reboot. (laughs) A clean slate reboot of the Marvel Universe, a la The New 52. So I got a little too busy, a little too precious, chewing on the scenery of every issue, uh, trying to look for hints, and uh, I don't want to say I was hate-reading it, but, uh, well, maybe I was hate-reading it. I I didn't allow myself to actually enjoy it, and um, I probably do owe it another look. Uh, Next up, Incursions in New Avengers Volume 1, colon, Everything Dies. And if this is the run I'm thinking of, uh, Hickman absolutely killed it with his take on Namor in this uh, run here I would say out of his Avengers work, this is probably his strongest, in my opinion And uh, an added bonus, uh, every issue of New Avengers didn't end with Steve and Tony saying that the Avengers need to be bigger Which I think was like every single issue of regular Avengers at that point in time Next up is Infinity, which you can find in the Infinity trade paperback. Uh, This one bored me. Uh, I was all in on it, um, but it just didn't land for me. It didn't... uh, I didn't like it. Finally, Secret Wars 2015 from the Secret Wars trade paperback. Uh, I hated this one as well, probably for all the wrong reasons. Next up, an interview with Pepe Larraz called X Marks the Spot. And, you know, interviewing artists... When like the mission statement of this preview is like being coy about what's coming next It kind of just feels like they're trying to eat up pages And that will become more apparent as we go through the line of questioning We get some real softball stuff here Stuff that nobody, I don't think anybody cares about Uh, Marvel asks, uh, what X-artist most inspired you? Laraz says Joe Mad, you know, uncanny mid-90s And Stuart Eminen, who was on all new X-Men Marvel asks, who's Pepe's favorite X character to draw? And uh, he likes drawing a lot of them. Uh, He says, uh, Wolverine, Rogue, Storm, Honey Badger, Glob. A lot of them. What's your proudest House of X moment, Pepe? Uh, Laraz says that he feels like the story of House of X really changed the way he conveys story, which, yeah, I like that answer. Marvel wraps up by asking if Pepe Laraz likes working with Jonathan Hickman. Come the F on real. What's he? uh, No, he sucks. Of course he enjoys working with him That's a stupid question Uh, Next up, the House of X Face the Future ad By Mike Diodato And this features 11 out of the 12 Original Quiet Council members Uh, Call Me Kate has not yet been revealed here So it's uh, everyone but her Uh, Next up, an interview with R.B. Silva Called Providing Power to the X Marvel asks what his X-Men inspirations are And uh, Silva says Uncanny X-Men number 347 From 1997 this is Lobdell and Majuara. This issue made him want to become a comics artist. His favorite X-Men character, Sabertooth Juggernaut and the Beast. He really liked Beast's 1970s design. And that's where, like, the actual questions end. Um, well, let's get into the, uh, the filler, the congratulatory stuff here. Marvel asks, how does it feel to be a part of this? Silva says it makes him feel accomplished. Marvel's like, hey, how about that Hickman? To which Silva's like, yeah, he's pretty cool. So... Next, an interview with Marty Gracia called Painting with All the Colors of the X. So, we're interviewing a colorist. Okay. Uh, Marvel asks for their X-Men inspirations, to which Gracia says Claremont and Lee's X-Men number one. Marvel's like, Jim Lee, oof. Okay, well, beside Jim Lee, who are your favorite X-Men artists? To which Gracia says uh, Kirby, Silvestri, Portasio, Quesada, the Cuberts, and many, many more. So, uh, yeah, no mention of John Byrne, but let's hear it for Joe Casada's long-and-storied X career. He did, like, six issues of X-Factor, right? All right. Uh, Marvel says, let's talk color palette. Really? Okay. Uh, Gracia is using a classic palette with sci-fi undertones. And Marvel's like, hey, we got Hickman and some artists. What do you think about them? To which Gracia says, yeah, they're good. You know, they're good people. They're, they're talented. Uh, finally, we have an interview with Jordan D. White called Head of the House. Marvel asks, in what ways will the X-Universe be affected by Hoxpox?" Pox? Well, uh, duh, it's going to change everything. Now, uh, Marvel asks, what's Hickman doing differently? And White says, he's got huge ideas and huge scope, which is pretty much the go-to answer. Um, honestly, a little surprised he didn't say high concept. Marvel says, which characters will shine here? To which White says, Xavier, Magneto, Mora, and, huh, Cyclops and his hand-picked team of X-Men. Eh? Did we miss that one? Um, Marvel says, hey, what's your favorite X-Men story? To which White says, Days of Future Past is the best. Really? Is it? Anybody give that one a read lately? I mean, I know it's important for the lore. But uh, much like Giant Size No. 1, it's not the be-all, end-all. At least in my opinion. Next up is another hype ad here. This is Powers of X Fear the Future, and this one features Maura McTaggart and Apocalypse making out. Next, we have a listing of the most important moments in all of X-Men history here. And, of course, the first one is X-Men No. 1 from 1963. Undoubtedly a very, very important issue, and you can hear me discuss this one at length in Essential X-Lives Episode 1. The next important moment is giant Size X-Men number one, 1975. Of course, the new international team is introduced. And I did cover this one at the blog. If uh, if you've never read the issue and want to be shocked at how not-so-great a story it is, um, you can check that one out at chrissoninfiniteearths.com. We got X-Men volume two, number one, from 1991. Hmm, okay. So, 1975 to 1991... Seems like we're skipping um, something, some a pretty important run, right? Uh, huh. uh, not only are we skipping the entirety of the Claremont run, except for you know two or three issues here, uh, we're skipping the Phoenix Saga, we're skipping Jordan D. White's favorite story ever, Days of Future Past, skipping the fall of the mutants, Mutant Massacre, Inferno. Huh? We're hopping right into Volume Two. Now, uh, if you're interested, uh, Jody Yardin and I did discuss this one in the first episode of From Claremont to Claremont, which is available in the archives. Next up, X-Men Alpha number 1 from 1995. This is the start of the Age of Apocalypse, which, as mentioned at the start of the show, Reggie and I covered this one in full during Cosmic Treadmill, episodes 100 through 105. Uh, now, Alpha number 1 was in episode 100. We did a, a deep dive with uh, our usual uh, vocal talents. Uh, Next up, we got New X-Men number 144, which was actually New X-Men number 114 from uh, 2001. So, uh, editors, where are you? Now, this is actually a book I've never talked about on the air. Uh, This is the beginning of the Morrison run, which I rather loved. I know it's uh, somewhat divisive, but it was an era that I dug a lot. And that's where we leave it. Uh, So, according to this, uh, nothing, absolutely nothing has happened for 18 years. Which, nah, I guess that's a fair assessment, isn't it? Uh, next up, we have a beautiful two-page spread by uh, Mark Brooks here, which features 37 X characters from history. Uh, unfortunately, we've got numbers all over the thing to like identify all these characters, so you really can't see the art so well. But um, let's go through some of the characters we got here. We got Warlock. We got Mr. Sinister in his late 80s, early 90s look. Gateway. Blink from the Age of Apocalypse, so not the six one six version. Iceman from the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, Sikorsky, that little robot bug from the Starjammers. That's an odd inclusion. Apocalypse Cable, the old man version, who was very much dead at this point. Toad, um, a thin and not so ugly version. Maybe this one's from the movie. I don't know. Archangel then we got a secret character from House of X number one, um, which looks like a sentinel. I honestly can't place it. A Dark Phoenix. This is the Rachel version of Dark Phoenix. Did did this ever happen? Maybe in Excalibur? I don't know. I don't remember this happening. Next up, another mystery character from Powers of X number one, and this is the Chimera Cardinal. We got Vulcan. We got Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. Uh, Thunderbird. We got Black King, the Emma Frost version. Did this happen? I don't remember this happening. Maybe this happened while I was away. Uh, Jubilee, the first of several Wolverines here. This one is in his new X-Men togs, which is to say the black leather. Cyclops, the 1990s Jim Lee version. Magneto in his red and purples. Dazzler, and it says here that Dazzler is from her... uh, This is from her 70s series, which... I suppose it's close enough for Marvel Editorial. Uh, Dazzler number 1 actually hit with a March 1981 cover date. Close enough to the 70s? Well, for, for Marvel Editorial, I suppose so. Storm, her 1980s Mohawk version. Firestar, Bishop in his original 90s look. Lalandra, another mystery character from Powers of X number 1, and it's clearly Nimrod. Wolverine in his brown 1980s costume. Another mystery character from Powers of X number one. This is Rasputin four, uh, Young Storm from the time uh, around the time of Gambit's first appearance. Though uh, I could have sworn she had short hair for this bit, and she has very long hair in this image. Wolverine for a third time now in his uh, Weapon X helmet. Uh, Mora McTaggart with her Hox pox blossom hat. Charles Xavier, Nightcrawler, uh, Beast in his 1970s Avengers look which is to say his look from the time he turned blue to when Frank Whitely turned him into a giant cat, Uh, the ex-baby version of Havoc, and a very deep cut here indeed, Bill the Lobster from Fallen Angels. Next up, a few uh, redacted sketch pages from R.B. Silva, and among the characters we see here, we see that Evangelion unit, we see Nimrod, we see uh, the Chimera, Rasputin IV, with the soul sword, that uh, Simon-looking chimera was a Syla Bell. I I forgot what that, what her name was already. Uh, the librarian and uh, the Nightcrawler-looking chimera Cardinal. Next, another ad, and these ads are really really cool. I love these ads because they're just uh, there's like an ominousness behind them. They're they're very interesting. We have like the you know Professor X in the Lincoln Memorial position there. We have Mora and Apocalypse making out. They're they're just very. There's something unsettling about them And they they work so well here This is another one similarly unsettling Because it just makes you ask so many questions There's House of X Face the Future by Carlos Pacheco And in it we have the original five and Professor X But they're from all different eras of X history We've got Angel in his 70s costume Bobby, he's got his Silver Age snowman look with boots Beast is the quietly cat uh, Professor X is in his hover chair Cyclops is, is in his uh, post-AVX revolutionary costume That really, really ugly head sock with the X over his eyes And Jean is in her gym lees And now if you want to learn more about the X-Men We've got some milestone collections to, uh, to put up on offer here And they include the Dark Phoenix Saga Fall of the Mutants The Mutant Massacre Inferno The Extinction Agenda Executioner's Song Fatal Attractions And The Phalanx Covenant so, uh, there you have it. Nothing of note has happened in the X-Book since 1994. Um, it's worth noting, uh, these milestone trades look so cheap. Like, zero effort went into their design. Um, they remind me of, like, the DC Rebirth trades. They just, they, they look so, like, bargain basement. Um, I mean, they make my podcast thumbnails look like masterpieces. And, well, maybe, maybe not masterpieces, but They ain't great. (laughs) These these, uh, milestone trades just, they look very, very cheap. Last and, well, perhaps least, we get a page full of mutants and their first appearances. So we get some very, very useful information here, such as Angel, Warren Worthington III's first appearance, being in uh, X-Men number three. Okay. Uh, Toad also first appeared in X-Men number three. I didn't know X-Men number three was such a big deal. So he appeared there and not in the... You know, iconic first appearance of the Brotherhood in X-Men number 4 uh, Also, M first appeared in Generation X number 1 um, Though I, I guess with as effed up as her history is That might actually have been accurate at this point But Warren's first appearance in X-Men number 3? Is, is, there, is there anybody editing? Anybody? Oh well That is the entirety ...of this free preview here. And, and I realize it's silly to complain about something like uh, a free preview... ...but uh, it's also silly to discuss a pre- free preview. So that uh, ship has most certainly left the dock at this point. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I will definitely give them one thing. This preview had a lot of pages. So it obviously took a little bit of effort. Though, um, you know, without the context of the time, right? And only with hindsight... It's hard for me to say whether or not it was successful in, uh, in the message and hype it was attempting to deliver, and of course that's not an indictment of its quality. It's just that I'm an X fan, and so I'm more inclined to be interested in X stuff. And I was also pulled back in more by the online hype. As mentioned early on, I didn't even realize that this bit of ephemera was a thing until uh, Jeremiah sent it my way. Now, if I wasn't in the content-making milieu, I don't know that I'd have been up on this enough to hop back in. So I really can't speak to uh, the success of this. If if this preview piece actually caught your eye and made you go all in on the Xbox, please drop me a line and, uh, and let me know. Now, if we look into the information that's shared here, it seems as though the uh, brain trust seemed to be uh, really trying hard to play coy, which... I don't know, I might sound hypocritical here You know me, I hate how everything is spoiled nowadays, right? But, and this almost felt like I don't know, an acknowledgement of the fact And an attempt to be like really cheeky about how this was going to be different And again, I don't want spoilers And again, I might sound like a hypocrite here But if you're trying to entice people into spending Boy, what was it, like 60-something dollars on a story? You know, a reimagining and a, re- a reinvigoration of a line of books that the publisher itself has been telling readers don't matter for the better part of two decades, you might need a little bit more than a trust me. You know, though, of course, this was a Marvel event and all the comics press fell in line to promote and hype it, so I guess they don't really need to uh, share what they don't want to share. Maybe I'm just being hyper cynical and maybe I'm just whinging over something that doesn't matter in the slightest, uh, which uh, wouldn't be the first time, and it certainly won't be the last. Uh, We could go into the editorial mistakes included here, but really, that's a dead horse. I don't think I have the strength or interest to keep punching anymore. Now, there are a couple of things I would like to go a little bit deeper on here, or at least mention. Uh, We have the listing of the most important bits of X-History, which (laughs) seems a little bit um, incomplete as well as the acknowledgement that the X-Men have been largely irrelevant for much of the 21st century. Okay, uh, the X-Men collections, as mentioned just a few moments ago, the most recent one included was The Phalanx Covenant, from 1994. And on the Greatest Hits page, the most recent was Grant Morrison's first issue, in 2001. Now, I'm guessing if Brian Bendis was still part of the Marvel bullpen, there'd have been plenty more highlights included after that, but... I guess that's not really the point. Or, or maybe it is. Um, you know, I want to remind everyone here uh, because while I lack the context of being in the shop at this point in time, that doesn't mean that we're completely contextless. Because as this preview hit the racks, X Men books were still coming out. Okay? Which, I don't know. I mean, good, bad, indifference. This kind of feels like a slap in the face of the folks Like Matthew Rosenberg Who may or may not have realized that they were irrelevant And the stories that they've been trying to tell for a few years To this point were unimportant You know, the irrelevance really, really bugs me uh, Because as I, as I you know, alluded to earlier That's not something that just happened You know, it wasn't an accident It wasn't like one day Joe Quesada flipped on his computer and was shocked by the fact that the X-Men weren't as high-profile during his tenure as they were for the entire two decades prior. Because, I mean, context, context. The X-Men were the standard-bearer for the entire comics industry for pretty much my entire life up until the time when they weren't. And again, that wasn't an accident. Marvel editorial vowing to bring the X-Men back to their rightful position in the industry uh, reeks of them, I don't know, not taking responsibility for actively and purposefully making them irrelevant in the first place? Uh, Maybe I'm thinking too hard. Maybe I'm taking this a wee bit too personally. But I don't know, it feels like the brain trust seem to be trying to eat their cake and have it too here, and I don't think they deserve that. I don't think they deserve that. You you take the props for fixing things, and you also take the blame for breaking the things in the first place. So, yeah, maybe it's more than I'm reading this, you know, far after the fact and with some contextual hindsight, but uh, this whole tone left a uh, pretty bad taste in my mouth. Um... I feel really bad for the Rosenbergs, uh, for the, you know, the folks who, the Cullen Buns, the Guggenheims, the folks who tried keeping these books afloat when Marvel was just doggedly trying to push them to the back burner here, and to have it in writing here that uh, they haven't been relevant for a while just feels like, I don't know, just a real slap in the face to the people who have been working really hard at (laughs) making it so they do matter, or maybe thinking that they did matter. Uh, as a piece of ephemera, this is certainly worth owning, and I'm glad to have it. But uh, probably not worth a read, <laughs> and might not have even been worth a read back in July of 2019. And now, speaking of uh, contextual hindsight here, uh, how about we do a little bit of a State of the Union here? Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the titles that we've gotten over the past few years here. Uh, we'll start with uh, Wave Zero, which is Hoxpox, of course. And, I mean, I mean, well, it's, it's a weird one to start with Because, really, what can I say about it? That hasn't already been said by me and, you know, far more intelligent people uh, Now, despite my distaste for this preview piece If you've been listening, you'll know that I was absolutely won over By House of X and Powers of X I thought that this series, or these serieses, were fantastic And it was honestly one of the most fun reading, potting experiences I'd ever had uh, being able to share my thoughts in you know admittedly belated real time was uh, a blast. it uh, It gave me these vibes of uh, you know, my youth listening in and taking part in comic shop chatter, you know, um, you know, back when people in comic shops actually talked about the stories in comics and not how valuable the particular variant cover they were picking up that day was going to become. And, you know, I've talked about various uh, instances uh, from my youth where shop chatter really affected how I received and enjoyed a story. You know, things like, you know, the whole, you know, Cable is Baby Nathan thing. Those discussions were a blast. Uh, The whole X-Trader, the theories uh, about that were wonderful. Wolverine's possible origins, you know, real names, stuff like that. You know, even uh, jumping to the other side of the table to discuss the death of Superman and theorizing about what was going to come out of Zero Hour it's hard for me to uh, overstate how much fun this was and how much this added to being a comic book fan, you know? And in putting out these shows and actually receiving a fair amount of non-spoilery, non-spoilery engagement, I almost felt like I was a kid again. I mean, there were feelings of anticipation and wonderment and dread, uh, you know, stuff that I hadn't really felt in decades I mean that's how strong this story was, and how a uh, shoe droppy, you know, the story was. Yeah, you know, I miss the feelings uh, and excitement I had for those first dozen episodes. I mean, I even admitted that I was wrong about Hickman. I apologized even. <laughs> you know, those were some very fun books and uh, really, really fun episodes to perform. And outside of just a handful of issues that happened later, was probably as good as this Brave New Era ever was. So let's hop into uh, Dawn of X here with Wave 1. Start with the flagship, X-Men Volume 5. And uh, as I mentioned early on, this was initially going to be the only X-Book I was going to buy and follow and read. Uh, Like I said, when I started buying X-Books again, it wasn't with Hawks or Pox. It was with X-Men Volume 5, Number 1. I figured that it would be all I needed in order to catch myself up. And, well, that didn't work out so well for me. I was very, very confused at the time, both in the story and out. Because, I mean, at the time, I I conflated a lot of the big X announcements around that time because I was kind of on the fringes. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ankle-deep in anything. I was just on the fringe. So I honestly thought that Hawks and Pox were part of the age of X-Men mishigas. You know, I I didn't know what was what. I didn't know what was gonna matter. I didn't know what was real, what was fake, what was a different universe. I just didn't know. So I did buy, and uh, I think I read X Men number one on release day. At least I started reading it because later on that same day I was on a plane to New York, so I didn't read the whole thing. But when I got back, I finished reading it, and I was totally lost. Um, And I put it down I wouldn't give it another shot until a year later When uh, x Labs was a thing for episode 13 And, uh, you know, right off the bat And with a fair amount of context uh, I really liked it So when we covered it here on the show I was very positive about it I was a little trepidatious But I overall came away, you know, with a very, very positive feel And I thought that we were going to be getting a team of X-Men Doing X-Men things to follow Kinda like the Hoxpox Preview advertised With, you know, Cyclops' handpicked team Unfortunately, that's not what this volume turned out to be And as I said before, it felt uh, more like an X-Men Unlimited In that it was, uh, outside a couple of issues Just kind of flavor and garnish for the era And that's not to say that there weren't some very, very strong bits here Because there were You know, two off the top of my head Were the ones that we always talk about That Mystique issue, which was wonderful and the Crucible issue which followed, which another one which we talk about that one probably too much. <laughs> um, besides those two, uh, well, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I'm sure that there's more stuff I enjoyed. Um, and it's not that this series was bad. I, I just felt like, and I'll probably be saying this a few more times, it felt like it was treading water. It was trying to kill time until stuff happened. Our next title is Marauders Volume 1, which is a series that... Uh, I had zero interest in when I saw it on the rack, but I don't know why. I just I decided to grab it kind of on a whim, you know. And uh, for the first several months of this era, Marauders was, in my opinion, probably the best of the bunch. And I'm pretty sure I've called it like the most consistently good book of the line, which isn't to say it was the best book month in and month out, but most consistent. It was never really a disappointment. Uh, that would that would come later, and I'm already kind of bracing for how the next volume will play out, but uh, well, we'll worry about that another time. Now, up until Exa uh Marauders was rock-solid, and almost always a really, really good time. We had a great ensemble cast before Duggan forgot about 90% of them. Uh, we had actual humor until Duggan forgot how to be funny, and uh, we had uh, a pretty great mystery before... Well, before that was backburnered for incessant gala prep. Uh, Highlights off the top of my head include the opening arc and uh, Emma's opening of the uh, Maura McTaggart Hospital, uh, which I really thought was leading somewhere. (laughs) I guess it didn't. Uh, Next, X-Force, Volume 6. Now, as we started working our way through the dawn of X-1s, number um, I started to think that X-Force was going to wind up being the low-key flagship book. Because it had something of a consistent cast and team And of course, you know, the ending of the first issue featured the assassination of Professor X That's a pretty big deal And so I thought that this would sort of be like the, you know, the straw that stirred the drink after that And, well, it wasn't (laughs) Um, Again, that's not to say it was bad It was often a title that I expected very, very little from But almost always wound up over-delivering Outside of some of the annoying ticks that this book has uh, Looking back, it's been pretty damn strong Of course, you know we have the assassination of Professor X That was a tremendous shock uh, we, can't, we can't not talk about the discussions of suicide and trauma In the Age of Resurrection, those were surprisingly deep uh, The Domino-Colossus relationship Really, really excellent stuff Gave us a ton of food for thought A lot of great discussions came out of that one Uh, speaking of which, Beast drifting more and more into, like, mad scientist villainy. And while that was initially very, very frustrating, ultimately almost satisfying. And, of course, we've talked about this at length, and I've justified his behavior time and again here on the show. And I still feel the same way. You know, I feel like his morality, while sometimes unsubtle, makes a lot of sense given his character arc and, uh, especially this this context that he's been placed in. On the other hand, though, uh, it was this book where mutant death has been cheapened almost to the point of parody. I mean, we could just talk about Quentin Quire alone. It was just way, 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 way too much, especially in light of the recent Inferno timeline reveal that everything has happened in the course of like a month or two. So Quentin Quire's died, you know, scady 800 times in 60 days. It's a little much. Also, the Russian baddie thing is uh, way, way, way played out in this book. Next up, Excalibur Volume 4. Um, hmm, well. <laughs> well, there was that two-parter where the team went on a Warwolf hunt at uh, Cullen Bloodstone's place. That was pretty fun. Um, hmm, yeah, other than that, it's Otherworld. Uh, we've talked about Otherworld. We've talked about Otherworld a lot and unless there's one or more Allens involved, it's really not my thing. I'm likely projecting here, but at least to me, it's pretty clear that uh, Teeny Howard wants to be writing fantasy and is doing whatever she can to shoehorn the X-Men into it. It's not always a good fit. Um, well, actually, it's not really ever a good fit, in my opinion. Now, as stated in the preview mag we covered here, the ultimate goal of this series was Betsy's ascension to becoming Captain Britain. Which would have been all well and good if they would ever roll the damn dice and get off go. I feel like every single issue we cover is based around Betsy trying to prove that she is Captain Britain. And, well, if you have to keep reminding us, then, well, are you really Captain Britain? Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother Brian never had to remind us that he was Captain Britain. It kind of reminds me of this one time I was in a Burger King, probably late 1990s, uh, where one of the employees kept announcing to the staff that they were the manager, they were in charge. And I was kind of a dick, and I told her that, hey, you know, if you have to keep telling people you're in charge, then you're actually not. Which is kind of the vibe I'm getting from Betsy uh, Braddock right now. And also, Betsy aside, every single issue of Excalibur we start makes me feel like we've missed An issue or two, so there's that Uh, I was happy to hear that this was finally Canned, but Unfortunately, it looks like we have a follow-up on its way Next up, New Mutants Volume 4, which was a pretty weird One, pretty weird one, it started off Very, very strong with the Shi'ar visit And that was interrupted By that weird farm story Which was very, very Odd, you know, talking about thinking we missed an issue When I started reading That one, I, like, legit (laughs) Had like a weird panic attack that the story, the Shi'ar story, like wrapped up in a, like a giant size or something Like, wh- how come I didn't get the ending of that story? Uh, then we had the Cosmar bits, which was what it was Then we had that Doc's Magazine story, which I was really looking forward to, but ultimately fell flat Then we fell into the whole uh, make Doug Ramsey more important than he should be trap Like we often do with New Mutants titles of this era Then Vita Ayala came in and gave us some real good food for thought here. Things about clone resurrection that we've talked about a ton. Things about uh, things that I might be reading too much into as it pertains to mutant social classism. You know, how the beautiful people, the normal-looking people, might get some breaks and advantages that the Irregulars do not. A lot of stuff there that is really, really fun to chew on. Then, of course, we got the never-ending Shadow King thing, which I don't think is even over yet. New Mutants is more often than not a good time, though. Uh, finally, Wave One wraps up with Fallen Angels Volume Two, which, hmm, uh, the first hundred uh, percent miss of the line, perhaps. I mean, it's been well over a year since we wrapped up our Fallen Angels discussion, but uh, in our very small circle, it's become somewhat legendary as a cautionary tale and not and how to not tell an X Men story. Well, until X-Corp and X-Men Green, anyway. Uh, the art was nice, though. Uh, Simon Kudransky, uh, really, really good work there. Fit the tone of the story. It's just, uh, the tone of the story wasn't all that great. Let's hop over to Wave 1.5 here, as I'm calling it. This is some side stories that came in. Not uh, ongoings, but, uh, you know, little flavor bits here. We have X-Men Plus Fantastic Four, that four-part miniseries. And this was one that I'd been looking forward to since reading X-Men number one. Because, you know, the fact that Franklin Richards, who was still immune at the time, very seldom got wrapped up in the X-Men stuff, uh, made this very interesting to me. Especially given the new Krakoan status quo. What didn't work for me about this series was how the X-Men came across as lunatics. (laughs) Villains. Just nuts. And, of course, how it was rendered an afterthought almost immediately afterwards. Franklin was demutanted, and the entire flare-up between the families was kind of quashed. Now, it did give me the opportunity to check out some Chip Zarsky work, which was really, really good. Really good. Made me miss the Fantastic Four. Made me wish that Zarsky was writing the Fantastic Four. Next up, Empire X-Men. Um, I don't know if uh, if I should just do a sound effect, or just say it was a cash-in. Uh... We'll just say it was a cash-in. I'll leave the sound effect out of it. Uh, Next up, Juggernaut Volume 3, which was a pretty big surprise, and one that I probably wouldn't have even checked out if the first issue wasn't included on the Coming Soon page. But I did check it out, and it was pretty great. I had a lot of fun with this miniseries. It gave us a nice break from the headier and high-concept Dawn of X stuff while still kind of dancing on the fringes of the line. So a lot of fun there This is one I would definitely recommend checking out If you haven't already It's, it's a breezier read it's, uh, The art is wonderful It's just, a, it's just really fun I, It was a great palate cleanser For me personally on the show uh, Next up we got the giant size X-Men one shots Which were kind of a mixed bag um, it Might not be fair to say Because they were advertised At least I, re- I can recall Them being advertised as artist showcases And, you know, using that metric and that metric alone, well, they were a success. Got some really, really wonderful art in these one-shots. Story, though? Eh, Well, that's a whole other thing. Uh, It was a pretty weak storyline, and uh, only really worth it for the art. Let's jump into Wave 2 here. Uh, We're going to start with Wolverine, Volume 7. And, I mean, it was... Just a matter of time before Wolverine got a series again, right? Uh, They even joke joke about it during the preview mag here. It's like, hey, you know, you never know, maybe Wolverine will get a book too. Uh, This, I mean, we say mixed bag, this was kind of a mixed bag. Now, as a sister book of sorts to X-Force, we got a lot of Russian baddies here. We had vampires. Uh, But we also had a pretty fun story with Logan and Maverick at the Legacy Auction House. Uh, Plus, we met Jeff Bannister, who has turned out to be a pretty fun addition to Wolverine's cast... We also got some quotable cringe dialogue. You know, uh, ride or die has become part of my vernacular. But I only ever utter it when it makes absolutely no sense to do so. So if you see me out in public and I say ride or die, just a you know, nod and, and walk on. Now, as with pretty much every time we cover an issue of Wolverine, there really isn't much to say. You know, it's often a decently fun read. The art's usually wonderful. It's just something of a chore to actually think about things too you know, say about it It really doesn't lend itself to analysis uh, Next up, Cable, Volume 4 And that's one I think I think we all collectively rolled our eyes at When it was announced Like, do we really need a Kid Cable book? Well, this one definitely overdelivered, <laughs> um, And one of the canned books that I most miss I couldn't believe I was actually loving And looking forward to a book starring Kid Cable But, you know, here we are Uh, Plus, the Phil Noto art was out of this world. Uh, Jerry Duggan somehow made a story featuring time travel, featuring strife, and the return of the old man work. And we've done plenty of gushing over cable on the show. Um, Definitely one you ought to check out if you have not already. Now on the subject of gushing, our next book is Hellions, the unexpected highlight of the entire post hoxpox landscape. It's honestly... uh, Difficult for me to put into words just how good this book is. Well, I guess was, but I still haven't finished. I haven't read the last issue, so it's still an is for me. This is still a living, breathing book. Uh, Wells and Segovia took what I assume to be, you know, the LOL random team of mutants and actually make make it work. Uh, they made all these characters. Ju- I mean, every character shined here. It was mm. this was a very very special book. Truly spectacular in all regards Uh, Such a shockingly deep book as well And I mean, this is where we started talking about things like Clone Resurrection You know, Maddie Pryor on the verge of death Begging that she be recognized as having lived Having been a real girl Absolutely heartbreaking stuff here Um, The ExoSwords chapters um, The betrayals, the secrets, the reveals I mean, Hellions is and was a masterclass on delivering a top-tier team book. I mean, they even made the dangling plots from fallen friggin' angels work. It's really just a... You know The only bad thing I can say about it is that so few people actually gave it a shot. Now, uh, I'm already dreading this book not being part of the future of this show. It is, like I say, every time Hellions comes up, if you're not reading Hellions... Read Hellions. <laughs> you really owe it to yourselves. You will not be disappointed. I can pretty much guarantee it. Uh, next up, X Factor Volume Four. Now, here's something of a, a bipolar book, which triggered something of a bipolar reaction in <laughs> your humble host. I was very much looking forward to this. Uh, X Factor as a title has always been very, very special to me. I've talked about, uh, you know, how it was the first X book that I actively tried collecting in the back issue bins. Because at the time, nobody wanted them. And they were cheap. So, I mean, this was a time where the big four were, you know, uncanny. There was volume two. There was X-Force and X-Factor. Out of those four books, X-Factor was the one that even an idiot who uses his lunch money to buy comics every day could afford. You know Nobody cared about it. So it really became my go-to for X-History. And so, I mean, X-Factor as a title, I went into this with pretty high hopes. But the opening arc with Mojo World and Millennial Speak really didn't land for me To the point where after reading issue number two, I actually considered dropping it I feared that it would cause me to become far too negative on the air here And I didn't want to be that guy And boy, I missed the days before X Corp and X Men Green (laughs) Now, I even asked some listeners for their thoughts on it as well I ultimately decided to keep it, you know, keep on keeping on and, uh I'm glad I did Because after those first three issues This title really, really started to win me over The writing, the art, the cast It literally became a highlight of the month And then they canned it And the way they canned it Really added insult to injury X-Factor didn't even get an opportunity To wrap itself up Instead, you know, it closed up With a Hellfire Gala cliffhanger Which, uh, well, we'll be talking about soon All told, X-Factor is another book That I miss leaving Wave 2 and hopping into X of Swords. So, um, X of Swords, an overlong cross-event mostly taking place in Otherworld, uh, featuring a dozen chapters of our heroes gathering swords they're not actually going to use. Where do I sign up? Hmm. Now, if I'm remembering right, this had 22 parts. 23 if we count the free comic book day promo, so I guess maybe it's fairer to say 22.5 parts. Way, way too long. Not to say that it was bad, because it did add a bit of flavor to the landscape, but it damn sure didn't need 22 parts. I mean, two parts were Wolverine and Hell, and there was another that was just a copy-paste of an issue from a couple months before. Eh. Let's talk some highlights, though. Let's be positive here. Um, Now, the highlights for me were the X-Factor issue that revealed the actual stakes of an otherworldly death. That was very well presented. The Hellions two-parter, which was awesome And actually managed to pay dividends even a year later Also the Dinner Party two-parter by Duggan and Percy Which made the generic warrior characters that we didn't care about Actually matter That was a great, great bit of storytelling And finally, it was pretty cool to see uh, Gwenpool show up for one panel in the last issue Let's move on to Wave 3, The Reign of X We got new titles here, including Sword Volume 2 And as you guys know, this is one I wanted to dislike. I've mentioned this time and again. I'm not a fan of how Al Ewing conducts himself online. But, damn it, he's a pretty good writer. (laughs) So uh, I can't say anything bad about this book. There is a bit of uh, something unfortunate about this series. And it has nothing to do with the creative team. It has nothing to do with, with, really, the cast. It has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it never really got the opportunity to get off the ground, because it kept getting swept up in far too many crossovers and events to really establish its own identity. It's got a really fun cast of characters, they just don't get the opportunity to shine. When it did get the chance to stand on its own, it was very, very, very strong. We've had issues dedicated to WizKid, uh, issues dedicated to Manifold, I mean, really good stuff. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what X-Men Red is going to wind up being, but... Yeah, I'm thinking it's probably a space book <laughs> So maybe it'll be some form of a continuation on this I don't know if Sword has been cancelled or has been put on hiatus I've been avoiding the news sites as much as possible Because of all the spoilers that are out right now So I'm at a bit of a disadvantage So I might be talking completely out of turn here But uh, let's move on Children of the Atom Originally set to be part of Wave 2 But pushed back for over a year and what we wound up getting here was uh, pretty unmemorable It kind of felt like post hoxpox is a YA novel Which I'm sure there's an audience for that, it's just I'm not part of it I really couldn't recommend this one uh, There's not much to it Any of the more interesting bits of this will probably never be touched on again Plus I think three of the six issues that this mini had uh, had the same cliffhanger ending So far too much stop-start for a series that only ran six issues. Very, very strange. Speaking of strange, next up is X-Corp. Mmm. Before X-Men Green, this was the worst X-Men story I'd ever survived. Um, A cast full of unlikables. A writer who kept falling back on the brave stance of Nazi bad. While also extolling the virtue of Celine, who you know, was in cahoots with and doing the bidding of a literal Nazi less than a year ago in Captain America. Just an absolute disaster all around. Uh, Zero to recommend here. Uh, You do not need this one in your life. Conversely, Way of X. Now this, my friends, was a special book. Now this book actually set to explore the realities of the Krakoan age. Nightcrawler, in the odd role of a skeptic, was our point-of-view character, and... I hate using words like perfect, because I feel like words like perfect have been cheapened very much on the internet, but uh, this one's nearly perfect. Looking at Krakoa as a living, breathing society, you know, viewing the mutants as a community, deep diving on the laws of the nation and the way that the mutant culture has changed, you know, it's easy just to list things. You know, which is what they did during Hoxpox. here It's like, we need laws, we are a government now So he, what are our laws? Okay, it's this, this, and this Okay, but what does that mean? Way of X went deep and told us what it meant It told us that sometimes that uh, the realities are far more staggering Than, you know, the words that they're based on You know, this was this is a special, special book and I mean, all the while, while Nightcrawler is examining the realities of this new world, there's this looming evil percolating on the fringes. You know, this, along with Hellions, truly shows the potential of this era. They embody what's so special about it. It's just a shame that so few people actually read these two books, relatively speaking. It didn't end all that strong, but I'm guessing that's more of an editorial issue than anything. Because one thing that we really haven't talked about during this episode... Is Hickman deciding to get out of Dodge? You know, and how that might have changed how a lot of these books wrapped up Or ceased to be in the first place Now, all throughout Wave 3, a lot of our stories were being interrupted by Incessant discussions of a party looming on the horizon Which takes us to our brief discussion of the Hellfire Gala And, uh, you know, once we passed those interruptions of Hey, we got a gala coming up, let's go get fitted for dresses the story itself wasn't half bad. I can't say it was an all-time classic, and I hate that we're apparently going to be wasting another month this year on another Hellfire Gala, but for what it was, it wasn't bad. Underwhelming, yeah, but it was adequate, and perhaps uh, you know necessary in pushing us into the next phase of this era. I think uh, this is a victim of hype. Uh, highlights, for me, were Way of X and Hellions, naturally. A uh, Deadpool crashing the party was a lot of fun. Uh, Namor being a jerk is always great. Actually, you know, I have to say the weakest parts for me were the bits that we were really supposed to be getting excited about. Things like the new X-Men team being announced when it was already announced online months before. And the terraforming of Mars, which was like the worst kept secret of the time. And maybe that's not fair. You know, maybe that's a result of me being a little tired of the overabundance of hyperbole and hype about those things But uh, I gotta say, it was the quieter moments of the Hellfire Gala that really resonated with me Rather than the senses shattering by the 55 variant covers, CGC 9.6 grade, yada yada yadas Quiet bits are great, the rest of it wasn't bad, but, I don't know, a little underwhelming Let's get into Wave 4, which will kick off with X-Men Volume 6. And uh, this is a series that my hopes have kind of been tempered on. I came into this one very, very optimistic, and I was very much looking forward to it. I wanted a team of X-Men, right? But at this point, uh, at least in my reading, we're five issues in, and two of those issues have been filler. And it's already been announced that we're having another X-Men election, so, the team that we waited so long to put together that was hyped from pillar to post already has an end date before the first friggin story arc even wraps up. So, why should we be excited about the next election? Hmm? And I, I have to mention here uh, I'm pulling my uh, my man baby card here because I have abstained from voting in this election. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take part. <laughs> I, I am a conscientious observer. Uh, Next up, we got X-Men Unlimited Volume 3, Infinity Comics' The Future Is Now. And the future is also kind of low effort from the 2022 hype issue that they put out as oof. Now, the first issue was okay. It was a Wolverine story, which is always a safe bet. But then, oh boy, but then, X-Men Green, which is without a doubt the worst X-Men story I have ever read. It was so bad that I'm not even going to waste any more time talking about it. If you absolutely must hear me talk about it, uh, there's something like seven or eight episodes dedicated to it in the archives, so you can check that out whenever uh, whenever you'd like to. Next up, X-Men The Trial of Magneto, or the continuation of X-Factor. Now, I have not finished this one yet, but it's been pretty uneven to this point. It kind of feels to me more like a title in need of a story rather than a story in need of a title. Does that make any sense? Like if this were an Aran X factor, it'd be fine. As a huge cornerstone event miniseries, though? Not so much. Plus, it's got this odd vibe of anger behind it, which I might be projecting onto it, but I don't think that I am. I guess we'll see how this one wraps up in a few episodes time, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more more then. Uh, finally, we have Inferno Volume 2, which has been really, really good. You know, all those shoes that have been just, like, barely dangling onto the tips of the toes, they're, they're dropping, and I'm having a really, really good time with it. Uh, parts of it have been a little confusing, but overall, if you're following the line, this is absolute must-reading for you. We're done with the past and present. Let's look at the future here. Wave 5, or Destiny of X. X-Men Red. Again, I think the consensus is that this will be the Mars book, or at the very least the space book. And I mentioned earlier I have not read any of the news sites Because I do not want to spoil myself on anything inadvertently So for all I know, the mission statement for all of these Destiny of X books Might be common knowledge at this point And I might sound like I am way, way behind the times Next up, Immortal X-Men, the return of Kieran Gillen to the X-Books With a focus, or seemingly a focus, on the Quiet Council And I'm intrigued, and having Doug Gillen's past X-Men work I'm definitely looking forward to it Uh, Legion of X, the continuation of Way of X by the same writer. Cannot wait for it. Knights of X, the continuation of Excalibur by the same writer. Not looking forward to it. The X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. uh, Right now, the first issue of both minis are out. And at the Xlapsed Facebook group, I've heard that the first issue of Lives was uh, confusing. Not bad, but confusing. And we'll get there soon enough, but I tell you what. This is one of those times where I kind of feel like I'm left out of the real-time reading experience. You know, I want to be part of the theorizing and questioning. I want to be part of that, but, well, that's just not how this program works, unfortunately. In any event, I do remain cautiously optimistic for this one. Um, I, I don't know how much it's going to you know, change things or shake things out, but uh, just by hearing how confusing it is, I, I am definitely looking forward to it. Finally, we got Marauders Volume 2 And as I record this, the Marauders annual is uh, just a few days old I, of course, have not read it yet, so I cannot speak to its quality All I can do is recall how I come away from every single comic with Steve Orlando's name on it And just hope that maybe this time will be different but I think that's where we will leave our little uh, trip down memory lane and State of the Union address. And uh, let's hop into the mailbag here. And hopefully, hopefully my voice can, uh, <laughs> can stay a thing because uh, I've been talking for nearly two hours at this point. So uh, let's get into it here. We're going to start with Jeremiah, who says, Hard to believe you're going to be hitting number 300. That's quite an accomplishment. Feels like a lifetime ago that you were kicking off Hawks and Pox episodes and I got to join you for one. What I think of when talking about the podcast and the fact that you've been doing this daily for so long now is the community you've created. I bought into the relaunch because I wanted to be part of the conversation with my friends. When you started the podcast, that rekindled that desire. There was the podcast, the mailbag, the Facebook group. It was fun to listen to and read about what everyone thought about the new comics. The the non-team book X-Men. Don't Call Me Kitty, Otherworld, all of it. It was great to be part of that club. Then came The essential Show. That really grabbed my attention because I was very behind on the main books. These were comics that I'd never read and didn't intend to. Listening to you discuss these comics, despite the fact that they're usually pretty simple, silly, and, let's face it, a little boring story-wise, is engaging. Throw in the addition of the letters, pages, and the bullpen bulletins, and a good show got even better. Finally came the Patreon and the Point One Show. Those wild Submariner stories are really something. I'm glad to have the opportunity to support what you do with something other than the occasional email and retweet. All in all, you've created and cultivated a place where I can go to for daily dose of X-Comics, whether it be the Silver Age, the Modern Age, Facebook or Twitter, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Jeremiah. Well, thank you so much, Jeremiah. And, uh, you know, I I can't say enough how special the uh, community is here. It's it's a wonderful group um just uh, so supportive and uh so engaged with these books here you know i talk a lot about passive engagement um which i'm sure accounts for a great deal of everybody's listenership but um it, it's wonderful to have people who are who are listening and taking part and uh adding to to the discussion here it makes me feel like uh like this is a less lonely endeavor because you know I usually say when I have a milestone, like, like we're doing right now, that you know, I, I hit, uh, you know, stop on the recording and I look around and I'm just, uh, you know, some idiot <laughs> sitting in a room by myself talking to myself. You know, the dancing girls don't come in, the confetti doesn't fall from the ceiling, it's just uh, another day. So uh, knowing that we have that community that we've put together over the past couple of years is, uh, is wonderful. It really, really makes all the difference in the world. And I would love to invite anybody listening who might be interested in taking part to uh, to maybe you know hop in, join the conversation, and you know add to the uh, to the feeling of community that uh, that we have put together over the past little while. But uh, thank you so so much, Jeremiah. And next up, Billy D. Saying, uh, "Hey, Chris." You definitely are not being too negative on these books, mildly snarky at best, in my opinion. Then again, maybe a curmudgeon like myself is not the best barometer. That's one of the things that I've asked about of late. I, uh, I've worried that I've gotten a little bit too, maybe not too negative, but focusing more on the negative than the positive, um, which isn't ideal. I'm not sure if it's something I'm imagining or maybe it's just a, you know, a downtime. You know, maybe I'm not the only one feeling this way, but uh, I do often wonder about that. Uh, Billy continues, I only listen spottily to the non-essential episodes, but I feel you're always on top of the content and fair with your assessments. Now, my first issue of Uncanny was number 300. I think I'd read something before that, but I can't remember which X title it was. I quickly read through everything current and immediately went backwards into the bins. It wasn't long until I discovered Claremont and Byrne, which are still some of my favorite comics to this day. Cockrum 2. Looking forward to listening to lots more content from you in 2022. See, I wasn't just whistling Dixie when I said number 300 was a big deal, huh? <laughs> people, people know I'm getting 300, for sure. But thank you. Thank you so much, Billy. Next up, Andrew in Belfast. He says, I can't believe it's 300 episodes of X-Lapsed already. Just wanted to drop you a line on reaching this important milestone, or as DC Comics likes to call it, an anniversary, and to say thanks for being a consistent companion in my headphones on many pandemic walks and lunch breaks. My wife informs me that we are around week 100 of working from home at the time of this writing, and the start of the pandemic seems a long time ago now. But I have to say embarking on this era of X-Books with you has been a lot of fun, even when occasionally the books might not be. Now, you mentioned something there that I want to, you know, kind of elaborate on or expand upon. Um, the pandemic and the uh, the everyday nature of this show um, was something that, that you know, I've I mentioned it before. I never really planned on it. But um, I have had a lot of people reach out to thank me for my consistency in, in putting out stuff throughout this time, as it uh, served as, you know, a bit of routine, a bit of a normalcy. In uh, an otherwise very, very strange And, uh, you know, often very frustrating time And the more I think about that The more it, it, really, it really affects me, you know um, That, you know, the, the, the stupid words that come out of my mouth Have served as a, uh, as a comfort to, to anybody Is, is uh, very, very strange uh, Andrew continues Things have been super busy work-wise over my Christmas and New Year, but I just finished The Trial of Magneto and the latest issue of Wolverine from last week's books, and I'm writing this before going to listen to your show on Marauders number 26. I've really enjoyed your analysis of Inferno to date, and I've I've also had such a laugh over recent X-Force episodes. I've been pondering if Ben Percy has given a new spin on jumping the shark. I think that Surf Wolverine storyline might have just crept into the so-bad-it's-good territory. I also laughed at your description of Bendis' character development of the Stepford Cuckoos via new hair color. Harsh, but true. And, yeah, the Wolverine on a surfboard is just, uh... I don't know, it's its ridiculous, but I think it might be veering into so bad it's good, for sure. And Bendis, yeah, Bendis is, a uh, I, I don't know, I, I think I give Bendis uh, uh, maybe too much guff, but, um... I almost feel like his time on the X-Men was just him, like, checking a box. Like, okay, I did it. You know, I I did X-Men. Or maybe he was being punished. And it's like, what don't you want to write? I don't want to write X-Men. Oh, you know, you got X-Men. He just didn't seem to be too happy there. Andrew continues. Anyway, you asked for some X highlights from over the years. And given that we're of a similar vintage, I probably won't surprise you by my choices. My top five storylines over the years are as follows, across all books and all eras. Number five, Legion Quest. My introduction to the crazy world of Legion and his relationship with Charles, which still scares me a little. Number four, Days of Future Past, Nuff said. Number three, Age of Apocalypse. I think my memory of this period is probably remembered through rose-colored nostalgia, but it was super fun. Number two, the Grant Morrison run. In reference to the recent Whedon retrospective debate, I am definitely Team Morrison, black leather suits and all. Number one storyline for me of all time, The Phalanx Covenant. Did Banshee ever look as cool as he did in this storyline? This is the storyline that sealed the deal for me and made me an ex-books fan for life. Some really cool choices there. Um, you don't really hear people talk about Legion Quest all that much, but it was a, it was a fairly big deal. Of course, it led to the Age of Apocalypse, and um, it was also my introduction to Legion. I, I didn't know who this character was. I, I had not read New Mutants to that point and i remember like the, the you mentioned that uh his relationship with Scar- charles is uh, still a little bit uh, weird and uh also legion's uh, relationship with his mom was very very bizarre there because uh i don't know if all the comic readers of the day were just dirty perverts <laughs> but uh yeah there was a uh, there were some incestual undertones uh in legion's relationship with his mother there when he went back to the past Very, very bizarre stuff. And the Phalanx Covenant, another one that you don't hear mentioned all that often. Um, Really, really fun story. Uh, I remember Banshee was super cool in that. Uh, I think that had Joe Majuara art, which was just, you know, like, mind-blowing at the time. It's funny, like, uh, I think with hindsight, I think hindsight changes a lot of things here, where... We don't recall things quite as fondly You mentioned the rose-colored glasses And yeah, those are those are definitely at play here But when Joe Madjuara first hit the scene It was like nothing else I'd ever seen before You know, it was just amazing yeah, I can compare it to like the first time people saw Liefeld Like, we all scoff at Liefeld now But when Liefeld first showed up It was just like, I've never seen anything like this And uh, it was... I don't know if we want to say impressive, but it definitely impressed upon an entire generation of readers and artists. Um, Now, Andrew continues. Also, I gotta say the Hickman era has me thinking of Phalanx Covenant and the Morrison fun a lot recently. Now, since it is a milestone episode, I'd also like to give some hot, probably awful takes on some other storylines over the years. Firstly, I am proud to be the only person that loved the Inhumans vs. X-Men storyline a few years back. Think of how much of a force of good for good Hank McCoy was in that storyline compared to now. I mean, what gives, Hickman? Do you have to make him such an evil spook-ass hat? <laughs> Secondly, the original Generation X first few issues in the 90s were among the best X-books ever. I'm still grateful to you and Reggie devoting a great show to that period for me. Thirdly, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the Dark Phoenix Saga Like, totally sucks. (laughs) I hate all that Jason Wingard Time Mirage rubbish and the frilly costumes. Lady Jane Grey, yada, yada, yada. Give me anti-hero Emma Frost nowadays and the recent Hellfire Gala glitz and glam over that boring Hellfire Club story arc any day. Much more fun. Fourthly, I preferred Planet Size X-Men to the 70s Giant Size X-Men. Another completely overrated and boring book. Seriously, try rereading that issue. I did a few years ago and it has not aged well. Fifthly, I can't get enough Shi'ar Empire in my X-Books. Need more Shi'ar Cosmic Goodness. Incidentally, I think you'd love Kelly Thompson's Rogan Gambit and Mr. and Mrs. X-Books from a few years back. Great dialogue, great art, plus great Shi'ar action. Finally, and I hope the X-Desk is listening to me, bring back the Star Jammers. Throw a chrome cover on the issue for extra measure. And, boy, what was it where the... I think it's an issue of Ms. Marvel coming up in the next few months that will feature the Starjammers. At least they're on the cover, which I suppose doesn't mean anything. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see the Starjammers in there. And uh, and if so, uh, we will we'll probably cover it here on the show as well. The uh, Gambit, or the Rogan Gambit and Mr. and Mrs. X series is, are definitely on my to-read pile here. I've been collecting them over the past few years when I see them. Uh, they are I don't know if they didn't sell all that well because they are terribly difficult to find. I actually managed to finish up my Rogan Gambit collection on a trip to Minneapolis. I had to fly halfway across the country to find an issue <laughs> of Rogan Gambit. Uh, definitely one I'm interested in here. I already have I already have all the artwork put together for Mr. and Mrs. X Lapsed which is a series that I'm hoping to do as a Sunday show somewhere down the line when I actually get all the rest of the issues in place. I suppose I could do them from, you know, Marvel Unlimited, but, uh, I don't know, it just feels weird to cover them when I don't own them, when they're, when they're current year or recent year books. I am definitely with you on those first, uh, the first year or so of Generation X being some of the toppest, toppest tier, is that a word, Topest tier? The, you know, some of the best stuff <laughs> that I read. It hit me at just the right time. In my uh, in my fandom, uh, they were my peers. These these kids in Generation X were my were my peers. It was just a uh, really fun. I, I would I could only compare it to how teenagers of the '80s probably received New Mutants. And of course, I have been a longtime proponent of Giant Size X Men Number One not being very good. <laughs> it's uh, when I covered that one on the blog a couple of years ago. It was just like, wow, this is not great. Um, And I think I even mentioned that when we covered uh, uh, Planet Size, because Planet Size got hyped like nuts, you know, like crazy. It wasn't a bad story. uh, But just uh, all the hype and all the comparing it to the import of Giant Size number one, it kind of, I don't know, I I guess I was just kind of over it before we even got it. Because I don't think anybody can argue that Giant Size was very important. You know, quality of the story is what it is. It was just... It was just a story. It was, it was bloated, it was overlong, it didn't really have a satisfying ending, it was kind of just all over the place. But, as far as importance is concerned, and lore, I mean, I don't think we can compare planet size to giant size in that regard at all. Andrew wraps up with, okay, time for me to go. I fear my credibility is now sinking faster than an adamantium surfboard. Great to see you reach 300 and looking forward to 400. Happy New Year and keep on rocking in the free world. Well, thank you so much for the very thoughtful message here, Andrew. I really, really do appreciate you listening and taking part and engaging. It's uh, always wonderful to hear from you. And that'll do it for the mailbag, but uh, how about we hop into the voicemail box now? Let's kick things off with our pal, Chris Bailey.
2: Hey, Chris. It's Charlton Hero, Chris Bailey here. You know, your good old recording buddy, and I got to tell you, I am super, super impressed that we are here at a milestone episode, episode 300 of X-Lapsed, and I could not be happier for you. I remember when you started this project many, uh, not so long ago, to be honest with you. And uh, ever since then, you've managed to shame every single podcaster in your wake with your efforts and getting to episode 300 in such a short period of time. Many podcasts rarely get to, you know, episode 10. You're at 300, my friend, and quality, quality work. So behind the scenes, I know the work that you put into this thing. The long hours, the early mornings, the scripting, the reading of the books. I have to tell you, my friend, hats off to you and the dedication that you put into this project. Not only that, but not only do you read books that I may not necessarily want to read, others that I do want to read, But you've done that work for me, so that's another big thing. You keep me afloat on all my X-Men news, and I really, really do appreciate that. And not only that, going through the old X-Men books one more time through a brand new lens, maybe a little even creepier lens when it comes to Professor X. What is that guy doing? Let's be fair here. But let me tell you something. The show, it's been a fun ride so far. Here's the 300 more. Congrats, my friend. It is a milestone to be reckoned with here's the 300 more x lap 600 we'll talk again congrats my friend
1: thank you so so much for those kind words my friend um yeah i mean i, I do talk about it on occasion but uh there is a lot uh, what what do i usually say like uh this place might not look like much but uh, there is there's a lot of work involved here there there certainly is a lot of hours a lot of a lot of sleepless nights and early mornings so It may not sound like it, but there is more to the show than just an idiot stammering behind a microphone. But uh, again, thank you so, so much for taking the time to call in. Next up, our pal Pat Sampson from the Longbox Crusade.
0: Hi, Chris. This is Pat Sampson from the Longbox Crusade. wanted to call in and wish you a very happy and congratulations on hitting episode 300 of X-Labs. That's pretty cool. I am a listener, but I am several episodes away. I am currently at episode 249, so about 51 episodes away from until I'll hear myself on this. But just wanted to talk with you and let you know I appreciate what you're doing. Love listening to the show. Keep it up. And it was great to see you last summer. Hopefully we can meet up again. Take care, Chris. Bye.
1: Well, thank you so much for, write it, for writing in. No, you called in. Thank you so much for calling in, Pat. Yes, it was, uh, it was wonderful meeting you and your family last summer. We'll definitely have to plan another visit somewhere down the line. Uh, you were the first podcast person I ever met in, uh, in person. So that was very, very cool. But thank you so much for calling in with the kind words there, my friend. Next up, we'll go to Derek Graymalkin.
2: Hey, X-Laps, this is 1407 Gray Malkin calling and say hello. And as far as this, uh, as far as Kitty's little statement, she was acting like a brat. Xavier was doing the right thing, putting her on the New Mutants team. And the entire time she complained and put the uh, New Mutants down, I'm really surprised the way Danny was written uh uh kitty and Danny never fought. Just saying. Like Danny got hands. Love your stuff. Keep it going, brother.
1: <laughs> well thank you so much, Derek. Uh, now this is a reference to the little uh you know, the little gimmick I have up about the about the phone line You know it is, it's a picture of Kitty saying you know Call yada 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 jerk You know three what, what the hell is my phone number 623-396-JERK It's in the panel of you know Professor X is a jerk which was when He tried to stick her on the new mutants so Thank you so much for, uh, for calling in there Derek I really really appreciate it Now last but certainly not least Our good friend Mark Jagger
0: Hey, Chris, this is Mark Jager. I wanted to congratulate you on the 300th episode of x You are a hard-working guy, and it is very impressive how uh, how consistent you are with the uh, shows, the writings, the quality. So it's definitely worth a uh, visit by uh, listeners to the Patreon page to uh, you know, help you along there a bit. Um I have to say I really enjoy the fact that you have such a long history with reading the X-Men, so when I hear the current day X-books being uh, reviewed by you and that you can tie them into past history, that uh, really makes it a lot more interesting, a lot more engaging. Um and speaking of engaging, I'd like to share some old X-Men memories here, but I actually did not get into reading X-Men until much, much, much more recently. I have to say that some of that is due to uh, your podcast getting me a little more interested in what's going on in the X-Books. When I was a kid in the 70s reading comic books, I started off with reading hand-me-downs from my brother, and he was not getting X-Books. So I kind of missed that whole uh, stretch of stories. Uh, then, 80s forward, I was not spending my money on comic books, but back around 2017, I got back heavily into comic books. And so, my actual introduction really to X-Men was watching all the movies that came out in the 2000s. Um, I, when I got back into comic books, I started uh, Old Man Logan. I was reading. I even read the uh, Domino series. Um, I guess I'm more of a more focused comic book uh, character, hero kind of person rather than the large uh, group. There's tapestry of X characters you tend to get in the X books. But um, I've actually uh, enjoyed being able to figure out uh, which are the books and storylines that I enjoy. And I've gotten that through listening to your podcast. So Again, congratulations, three hundred. Totally awesome, man. Make my next last. See ya.
1: Well, I wanna start off by apologizing for pronouncing your name wrong. I I had a fifty fifty shot, Jagger or Jagger, and I, <laughs> I got the wrong one. I apologize for that. I will uh I will change that from uh from this point on. Uh but uh, definitely thank you so much for all of your support and uh and for engaging. It really does mean a lot. It's it's just so cool how we all have different um, levels of experience with uh, these characters And uh, and yet we're all here as part of this conversation It's uh, It just goes back to that feeling of community Which has uh, been... I don't want to say it's a happy accident Because I always wanted there to be a community I just didn't think anybody would care <laughs> So I guess it's a... Uh, just a bit of fortunate happenstance That um, that we've all found each other And we've all been able to have these wonderful conversations And uh, talk about these books And learn stuff about these books And share our experiences in the fandom It's it's really just been You know uh, Saying something like it's been a blessing Might sound a little trite But um, it has It really, really has it, it's, it's folks like you all that have made this Something that I look forward to doing and look forward to continuing to do Um, you know, not to go too far into the weeds Because I I don't want to go into the weeds today any more than I already have But, um, over the past couple of weeks, uh, almost a month now It's been, it's been pretty lousy at the house Um, and uh, we'll probably talk about why another time Today's not the time or place for it But, um You know, initially I was like, okay, you know, this gives me an opportunity to refocus, you know, and to appreciate things that are not not blog or podcast related, and I don't have to perform today, you know, I can get away with not performing today. And, uh, you know, it's weird, I I missed it. I missed it, and I felt really, really bad about not doing it. I, I... Not that I consciously decided not to do it. I I physically couldn't do it, is the thing. But I I missed it. And it was like this weird feeling of um, excitement and dread to do this episode today because I knew it was going to be such a big undertaking. I mean, I've been sitting in this room for nearly three hours at this point, talking to myself and running my voice raspy and ragged. I knew it was going to be a big... A bigger than usual sort of a sort of day, and uh, you know, so I did dread <laughs> having to actually perform for this length of time, but I was also very, very excited to get back into the swing, to get a little bit of my own normalcy back, and uh, knowing that everyone listening has my back and understands, you know, uh, why things have been the way they've been for the past little while, really means a lot. It really, really does mean a lot, and again, we'll talk more about that another time But uh, uh, suffice it to say, I want to thank everybody for uh, being a part of this Being a part of this episode, being a part of this family Just being a part of my life, and letting me be part of yours So it really... I can't put into words what it means to me So thank you all so, so much But as uh, as we're, we're ticking into the uh, two hours of recorded audio here I think that's where we'll call it a day uh, If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me um, If anybody has any, you know, episode 300 thoughts you'd like to share Please feel feel free, feel encouraged To write in, call in, whatever you want to do Whatever's easiest, um, I'm there uh, If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics You can shoot me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline 623-396-JERK for blog posts and show notes six years straight every single day, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You could join us on Facebook. That is, what is that? X Lapsed. Yeah, not, not Ace Comics, that's Twitter. You could find our little group at '90s x Men. What am I talking about? I am exhausted. Uh, 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 let's start that over. On Facebook, you could find us at '90s x Men. Um, you can hear the entire audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or by searching up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill or x or WebLapsed, any of the names of the shows, you could probably find us very, very easily. And finally, there is the Patreon, where you can get some behind-the-scenes stuff, some exclusive content, audio, and text, as well as a great and wonderful group of folks to chat with. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. And with that, I think... We're just about done. So, thank you all so, so much for choosing to be a part of this, for letting me spend some of my day with you and you with me. It really does mean so, so much. There's 300 in the can, and uh, here's to uh, however many more, (laughs) right? But uh, thanks again. Thanks again, and as always, I will be talking to you again real soon. See ya.